Made Visible helps people with invisible illnesses feel seen and heard. It provides a platform for people who seem fine but aren't to share their experiences. It also helps to create a new awareness of how we can be sensitive and supportive to those with invisible illnesses. Please note this podcast is intended to provide information and education and is not intended to provide you with a diagnosis or treatment advice. You should consult with a licensed or registered healthcare professional about your individual condition and circumstance. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Made Visible. I'm your host, Harper Spiro, and I'm so glad you tuned in. Today's guest is someone who has taken it upon herself to manage her own health in a holistic way after years of medications that weren't benefiting her body. Melissa Coulier lives with lupus and has turned her dedication to her own health into a business of helping others too. If you're interested in hearing other stories of people living with lupus, head back to episode 28 with Monique Gore-Massey and episode 61 with Amy Lacey. Welcome, Melissa. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you, Harper. I'm so happy to be here. And thank you for sharing my story with your community and just providing a platform for people to feel seen. Thank you. I appreciate that. We were connected through Kate Milligan, who was on episode 122. And she said, you must interview Melissa. So I'm so excited for this conversation. (laughs) Let's start off. Tell us who you are where you're from, and what you do. My name is Melissa Coulier, and I am originally from Montana, uh, born and raised in Montana, and then headed to LA to pursue my passion of becoming a commercial and editorial photographer. Then three years ago, relocated to Detroit, Michigan, or Metro Detroit, and started to discover that the lifestyle and certain situations that were happening in my life at the time led me to seeing this opportunity of moving into the wellness space. And my passion turned into helping others manage their pain and inflammation as I was healing my body and finding different holistic ways to do so. So now I am a functional movement pain-free management specialist. It's a whole mouthful. Um, And then I I'm a fitness instructor that teaches functional fitness with the intention of lowering inflammation in the body. It's amazing. I can't wait to discuss more. So let's start. You were diagnosed with lupus in 2006, Yes. but you dealt with chronic pain before then. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to me about that? experience in your chronic pain and then how you got diagnosed with lupus? Yeah, so it actually all starts from when I was an infant. I had a spinal tap upon birth because they didn't know necessarily what was like going on. They thought I might might have meningitis and so had a spinal tap and then I had inflammation in the spine as I was developing, which caused some of my vertebrae to have different pitches and degrees that were like slightly off, allowing the spine to kind of develop a little bit off kilter, which is called Sherman's disease is the term. It's when parts of the vertebrae are a little bit thicker and wider than other parts. And there's larger gaps in between or smaller gaps in between. Basically, it's just kind of out of alignment. It grows that way. 
I was a very, very active child, loved moving my body from cheerleading to motocross to hiking and rock climbing, backpacking. And I always had this intense overall pain that I just lived with. And when you know something to be true of your body for so long, it's just who you are, right? It's just your identity. You don't think any different. I mean, I remember even when I was a young child having these intense migraines and a lot of it the compression or the certain pain in my back, there was always that explanation of, oh, well, you're just so active. You're moving your body so much or you're being reckless in the activities that you're doing. And then it wasn't until I went to college that I just started having this like debilitating pain in my joints. I couldn't figure it out. I went to the doctor multiple times, got the thyroid checked, thought it was RA because RA, rheumatoid arthritis runs in my family. And it was just one thing after the next of just being unidentified. And Honestly, a lot of people looked at me and they were like, well, you look fit, you look healthy, like maybe it's in your head or maybe hypochondriac or all of the things, right? When all these medical professionals are gaslighting you, you start to think like, oh shit, am I? Am I, am I making this up in my head? Like, is this chronic pain and these feelings not really there? Cut to, I moved to Los Angeles and six months after that move, I was driving to work. I blacked out. What had happened was a blood clot hit the oracle in my brain. And after many tests later, they found out that it correlated with everything else and all of my other symptoms, which led them to discovering lupus. So I had the mouth ulcers. I had intense fatigue. I had that needling pain in my joints that they had, you know, already thought that this was a young case of. RA. My skin was really sensitive to light and rashed really easy. And it was kind of this, this long journey to finding out what it was. And then after I found out, it's an interesting thing, right? And I'm sure you can relate that interesting point where you're relieved to know what you have, but also devastated and depressed and thinking like, you almost want to throw like a pity party for yourself of like, well, why me? What did I do to deserve this? Yeah, that's so relatable for sure. It's interesting because I've talked to my mom many times about the day that I was diagnosed when I was 10, and we both really don't have a memory of anything other than being told, yes, you have this condition and be on this medication for the rest of your life. I think we both blacked mm-hmm. out after that of being grateful mm-hmm. to have the information, but ro- really not knowing what mm-hmm. to do with it. What did you know, if anything, about lupus prior to getting the diagnosis? Absolutely nothing. I I got the information. And in 2006, there wasn't a lot of information in general about autoimmune diseases. So for me, I was like, you know, you go down the Google rabbit hole. And then the next thing you know, you're like, oh, I have six months to live probably like you just go dark, right? My mom actually had done research because her first cousin had lupus. And I didn't know that at the time that I was diagnosed. So she gave me all of this information, different books to read. Like my mom was so great in providing all of these resources for me to educate myself, but also learn like, okay, other people live with this and are managing it. So don't necessarily go dark right away. Like let's take a beat. After I started doing research, and for those of you that may not even know what lupus is, 
It's an autoimmune disease that causes intense bouts of inflammation and chronic pain throughout the body. It's taking your perfectly healthy immune system, identifying that it's fighting infection when it actually is not fighting infection. Therefore, it's attacking all of your healthy tissues. So that can be anything from your skin to your liver, different organs, even your brain. So as soon as I found that out, my best girlfriend growing up was a nurse. So I called her right away. I'm like, hey, what do you know about lupus? And at the time, she actually had a patient of hers was like not doing well and nearing the end of life because of lupus. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like a real thing. And then it just kind of snowballed into like how, like almost you're so scared, right? You're like, okay, now how do I stop this? So my husband, Dave Coulier, is an actor. He had a good friend, Bob Saget, and his friend Bob was very well connected with all of the different hospitals and specialists in LA. And I'm so grateful. I know so many individuals don't have the access to great doctors or even information. And so I know I'm a very rare case where I had individuals that were in a position to lead me to the right answers and the right doctors and individuals. So Bob had set me up with a specialist at UCLA in California in order to kind of get control over it and the reins on it. I started taking different medication right away to just mask the symptoms. And it wasn't until many years later that I decided to take a holistic approach just because of the things that steroids were doing to my body and my mind and all of these different things was so hurtful in the sense of like causing even deeper bouts of depression or different things that were happening where then I was like medicating my medication and I was like okay we need to like get a handle on this and I need to do something different and I also just had to get over the fact of like stop feeling sorry for yourself and do something stop writing the narrative that you're resentful because no one else is going through this because it can feel lonely in the time even though I mean so many individuals struggle and once you kind of start talking to different people and like you having this beautiful platform, you kind of realize like there's a community of us. We can like help support each other, stay in our lane, but support one another while everyone's going through it. But I think it's really easy to immediately go into that. I'm the only person going through this. It's the worst thing ever. No one's experienced pain like this. I think that's really common to go through that. And I think even so many years into living with my condition and, you know, same with you, there's still those moments. Yeah. There's still times where like I'm in the doctor's office and I'm going like, how is this my life? How is this what I'm dealing Mm -hmm. with? Don't I know enough? Don't I have the best access? All of that. It's still challenging. Yeah. And so it's interesting. I have a million questions given what you just shared. But one of the things I wonder is you mentioned your mom, who clearly is a support system. And you Mm -hmm. talked about your best friend. And wow, having her share that she had a patient that was nearing the end of life is so intense to hear. But what were those other resources for you in the early days of navigating this, especially on an emotional level? Because you mentioned medical gaslighting and the challenges of that, which I think this community knows really well. How did you navigate that in those months and early years of getting this diagnosis? 
My answer is kind of twofold. I'd go on to online support groups just to like hear what was working for other individuals. And I was kind of actually a little bit too scared to like participate too much, but I would read everything. Then I just had a few close friends and obviously my husband who knew the ins and outs of like the roller coaster of the pain and how some days are fine and some days are like you can't get out of bed for the whole 24 hours. Kind of the rainbow of all things, right? To everyone else. And I think I was able to even fool some of my closest friends. I kind of pretended it didn't exist in certain situations, especially in social situations and for work. I mean, I was trying to become a celebrity photographer, which is so taxing on your body, carrying lights and equipment and constantly being in these awful weird positions. And I would be so exhausted and my body was beat up the following hours after a shoot. And um, I would medicate I would use every tool in the toolbox of, great, here's a steroid. Great, well, here's something for your migraine. Well, here's an injection. Hey, actually, let's just throw a bottle of wine on top of that and and just pretend this doesn't exist. And so you can just keep managing and keep forging forward. And like I said in the beginning, when all you know is pain, you're like, this is just what it is. This is just how my body's going to be. So why make other decisions and go this holistic route if, and at the time, I honestly didn't even really, I wasn't aware that a holistic route could help me. So in the beginning, I think I I masked it. And then in that like super inner circle, those individuals, those poor souls and saviors and angels like just had to hear it, right? And just live in it. And it's, it's so hard on somebody else, the caregivers will say, or the support system and the support team to watch somebody who's in chronic pain, but then also watch them be pretty reckless with how they're curing it. Because alcohol would lead me straight into like migraines or pain or when they have gluten, I would inflame and be so sick. And yet I would make all those decisions because I was like, I know I'm going to feel bad, but whatever, I'm just going to take a pill and hope it's better. Oh, I know that one so well. I've probably said this in an early episode, but I have journal entries of me writing in in my early college days, my mom told me I should stop drinking because my skin will probably be better. But doesn't she know that like this serves a purpose? Mm. And for me, it was definitely a way to mask what I was going through. And it was such a tool, you know, also to be 18, 20, 21 and realizing that's what all my friends were doing, whether it was just for fun or coping with what you're going through. And it's so easy Mm -hmm. to do that. And I think it's interesting to hear you talk about sort of layering medications and realizing over time that one is probably causing a problem problem that leads you to another one. And you ultimately don't know which one's working for what and what's causing even more issues than you just baseline someone with lupus. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, what did lead you to the holistic route? Where did you learn about that? And what was your first step? So it all came from meeting a friend who was actually working in production on the set of Fuller House at the time. So my husband had become friends with one of the production coordinators. Her name is Melanie Samuels. And she and I just became like fast friends. We would go on these hikes and, you know, we came into the friendship moment where I shared the the craziness of like, 
okay, here's what's going on with my body. Here's how I manage it or don't manage it or the struggles I'm having. And it was just that perfect moment to share that life just presents like this beautiful timing if you would just like tune in and listen. And that moment happened for us on this hike because she was talking about how she was actually looking to leave the television industry to become a holistic nutritionist because of her battle with inflammation and disordered eating. So it happened to be this like perfect opportunity and connection where the stars aligned, so to speak. So I became her first client and the work that we did together was insane. And the way that it transformed my life, my previous self is so unrecognizable to me. It was just a long haul of work and just consistency. And I loved her approach from the very beginning because I think we're in this all or nothing mentality with the way that we live or the way that we feel like our health should go or whatever. And she was like, look, we're going to start small, making something seem obtainable. So then it just then becomes part of your lifestyle. And then we'll just add another element to that of healing. I think trying to change everything all at once and being super drastic with our changes, we get frustrated. It's not sustainable. And then we start square one and we're in this vicious cycle of like this constant ebb and flow of all or nothing. She really preached the like 80-20 lifestyle, 80% of the time, like eat what is right for your personal body. We're so bio-individually different that every single consumption of food, of information even, of friendship is so different. We all process it differently. Therefore, we have to just react and consume what's right for us. By taking that approach and then with that other 20%, you know, having a glass of alcohol on a birthday rather than a bottle every night, just adjusting. And if I have like a piece of bread while I'm like visiting another country or whatever, it's like, okay, then I can do that in a healthy mindset and know that that's not how I live every day and not feel guilty around it. I feel like for a long time, I would feel this awful guilt around the food that I knew that wasn't right for my body, but then it was making me sicker. When you say the all or nothing mindset, I think that people often when they go with nothing, then you're not able to measure what's working and what's not. It's like Mm -hmm. starting 10 new supplements and going to acupuncture and getting a massage and going, oh, I feel better Mm -hmm. or I don't. And you don't know which thing is working. It's the reason why elimination diets exist and why people take away certain things, not all of it at once. So I think that that is such a good reminder to people listening that you don't have to make a massive change immediately Mm -hmm. starting somewhere get you somewhere and make you realize Mm -hmm. the difference it can make on your body and your health. And then you build over time and you get used to things. So what would you say has been the hardest part about the transition into a more holistic lifestyle? I think just patience and showing yourself patience and kindness throughout. I think that it's easy to get frustrated with the timing. And I, in the first three years of my work with Mel, I was like, yeah, I'm feeling like a little better, but I wasn't even aware of the difference it was making because my body was just detoxing from my life up until that point of not eating or drinking what I should be for it. A lot of my work also was mental 
I had to get my mind right. I was a worrier. It's always like a work in progress, but having anxiety, writing stories before you allow life to unfold, you know, it's just kind of like slowing that mindset down and trying to focus on thinking of it from a long haul perspective of like, if I do this consistently for long enough, it's going to pay off. And that's what happened. I mean, it wasn't like this overnight success of three days shipping. It took three years for me to fully be like, oh my gosh, I'm waking up and I don't have massive joint pain. Oh my gosh, it's been over two months since I've had a migraine. I mean, I was having blackout migraines twice a week, like around a toilet bowl throwing up. My digestion is better or I'm not having certain issues with my skin as much as I was. The flare-ups were so far fewer between. And then I was like, okay, this is working. And now it's so strange to think about the days of not being able to get out of bed. And now how I'm able to just like move first thing in the morning. That's huge. As or before, I'd have to have like my husband massage my joints in order to just like wake them up. That's huge. It's amazing that you were able to explore that path and it's been so successful for you. Do you find that your doctors, if you have doctors that are following all (laughs) of this, are supportive of this route that you've gone? Yeah. So the two uh, rheumatologists that I was seeing in LA never really like spoke to me about taking a holistic approach. And so when I started doing that, they were like, yeah, but just so you know, like lupus is going to be with you forever. It's not like something you can cure. It's not something that you're going to like get out of. We're here when you need your steroid injections. So it was kind of like, okay, good luck. Pat on the back. We'll see you next month kind of thing. But then actually moving to Michigan, I have two doctors whom I love and they're great. They both have been really supportive the times that I do need a steroid. They're like, okay, we know this is a bad case or this is a certain situation where because I tell them straight up when I enter the doctor's office, I do not want to be put on medication. So whatever you're going to tell me, it's just about the numbers. I just want to know the blood work and I want to know where my white cell count is, because at this point, my work with my nutritionist and with what I know from all of my research, I can figure out what my body is missing or needing from those numbers. I just need the information. I just get my blood work done once a month and they're there as support as needed. But that wasn't always the case. That's a rare, rare find. So how did you transition from taking care of your own health holistically to building a business in the wellness world? What made you want to help other people? After that three years and having that realization of like, oh my gosh, my body has transformed. It was like I became a new person. Like I have a twin out there or something like that. How crazy that it felt. So after I had so much success with my work with Melanie and taking that holistic route to my nutrition. Three years ago, started working with my sister. My older sister became a fitness instructor and she became a personal trainer. And so when COVID happened, I left the gym and then we started doing sessions and my body started to transform when I stopped doing my like daily workout and just cut down to two days a week. I was training with her and all of a sudden I had more energy and my body was further healing just beyond food. And I realized that I was over conditioning my body, even though I was feeling good 
I did notice though, I'm like, oh, after every workout, why do I want to take a two hour nap? Or like, it was just this other exhaustion. And so she was doing a lot of functional movement with me. And then I had explored the healing of breath work, how using your breath paired with exercise and paired with when I like eat food or consume food or meditate and all of these different things, I was finding all these like additional benefits. As I started to heal that, I became really fascinated with the idea of like, well, what if you pair this breath work with functional movement to help lower inflammation and helping individuals with chronic pain? So if this was working for me, maybe it can work for somebody else. I still like to say every class or every time I'm training someone, like nobody else is the expert of your body as you are, right? So tuning in and then moving for your body or doing that, but taking these techniques and then applying it to that. So I decided to go to get my certification in pain-free movement and in fitness training. And then that's kind of like where it all stemmed from. So I did that a year and a half ago and now we're here. Wow, that's amazing. It's so incredible to hear people who have gone through these challenging experiences with their health and then realize how they can give back. I mean, I recognize I'm I'm similar, but it's so powerful to know that you made an impact on your own life and then said, wow, I can help other people through this. What kind of impact would you say that you have made on clients' lives in introducing them to this work? Two individuals come to mind, but one in particular, we found out that she was really over-conditioning her body. And once she started applying breathwork and mindfulness to the way that she moved her body, she was able to get her period back and she hadn't had it in three years. And that was just such an amazing testimony of what your body and mind can actually do to provide medicine to your body. And also with food is attached to that. Food is absolutely medicine. So she just kind of changed that whole perspective, those three things of food, the way that she thought about situations, and then the way that she moved her body. It was so powerful. And right now I'm working with a cancer fighter and she has this like chronic pain in the side of her neck. She's like really only able to move her arm to probably like a 45 degree angle. And just through this very small amount, we just started working together. And just through the very small amounts of intentional breathing through exercise, she's been able to have, I would say, 20% more mobility than she started with. And that's just in a few short weeks. That's huge. I mean, those are those are major milestones that you can track so easily. And that's massive that you're able to have an accomplishment like that. So you've shared with me the importance of bio individuality. What does that term mean to you? And how does it play out in your life? It's as simple as taking care of your body for you specifically, right? So you and I can both go out to lunch, have the same exact meal order, and then process that completely differently and have a different outcome in our body. It means tuning into and listening to your body and then taking action on the positives of how certain foods react to it, how certain thoughts react to it. It's as simple as you do you, Bill, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think it's such a good reminder because I think in the chronic illness world, it's 
common for us to go into a support group, a Facebook group, and assume that we're going to get answers in there that are going to be relevant to us. And that's not always the case. And a doctor may say, hey, I've had this treatment that worked for someone. Maybe you should try it too. And it also plays Mm -hmm. into strangers that do not have your condition who like to give advice unsolicited Mm -hmm. and (laughs) they have no idea what's actually going on with your body. So I think it's such Mm -hmm. a good reminder of everyone's body is different. Listening to your body because you know it better than anybody else. Making decisions that feel right for you because my approach could be different to your approach. How has bio-individuality helped you in managing your own healing journey? It was really hard at first because I think there's a large part of us that we love the idea of community and doing something with somebody else, right? Like that's why we, you know, it's call a girlfriend. Hey, do you want to go in a 30 day juice cleanser? You want to do it with somebody else. You want someone else going through that journey with you. It was hard at first because when you're realizing the things that you need to cut from your diet or from your life in general, right? Setting new boundaries for yourself. There tends to be some resistance from your peers because they're like, well, you've always drank that or you've always done that. Like, oh, really? Bread's going to hurt you today? And it's the judgmental thing of like, I don't want to be the inconvenience if we're going out to lunch or I don't really want to go there because I don't have anything on the menu that I can eat, but you don't want to say anything or speak up. And there's all these layers that go into it where you just start overthinking everything. And then I felt like when I first cut back on alcohol, for example, that was like a huge thing that I wasn't ready to, I guess, go up against was people's resistance to me not having something to drink. And I was like, don't even worry about it. Like you can still have a good time and go all out. But just the fact that I was cutting back, it was like, well, why? Well, why aren't you drinking? Oh, but is it really a thing? Like, what does it do to you then? And there was all of these questions around it. It's funny that like when you, you're you doing something toxic for your body, for your personal body, I'm speaking me personally, people are really resistant when you start to transform and try to take care of it. And it was wild to watch. I relate to that so much. I remember when I stopped drinking for a long period of time because I had started new medications and just felt like the smart thing to do. And I have memories of certain meals sitting down at a table and a friend going, oh, you're not going to drink a bottle of wine with me. And I'm like, so get a glass. What's the difference? Mm -hmm. What, we can't enjoy this dinner without me drinking wine? I was probably 28, 29, 30, around that age. And I just remember going like, are we not able to have fun and have a nice time together without me drinking? Harper, no, you're not. You're not able to have fun. I'm just kidding. People really feel and believe that. They do. And, and, And honestly, it's their issues and their own, I don't know, lack of confidence or something of that nature that it's really has nothing to do with me. And over time, I got over it. But it was definitely a challenging period of time of like, wow, people, do they really not think I'm fun without alcohol? Is that really possible? I actually went down a, like a dark way with that too. Of I stopped being invited places because I stopped drinking for a while. I remember I was like, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm just not fun when I'm not drinking. Maybe I was a better person on alcohol or whatever. And obviously that narrative is so false. I ended up having a really like raw conversation with a girlfriend about it. 
And she said, look, Mel, honestly, it's hard to have you around not drinking because all I'm thinking about is how much I'm drinking. And I realized like it's more about the individual than it is about me. So I just need to continue on my path, my journey, and whatever that journey is that they're dealing with, if it doesn't feel good to have me there, like I obviously don't want a toxic negative sin on my presence being anywhere, let alone with a friend. If that means we get together for coffees instead, like great. It's just my relationships changed in the way that we spend time together. And it actually is for the better that way too. Yeah, I think that that's a great point to make, which is that your friendships change over time in general and through you making your own transitions and finding what role each of your different friends or people in your life serve and how they can be of value mm-hmm. to you because things change. Life happens yeah. and there are people that are going to be with you unconditionally and there are people that are going to go like, I want the old version back and that's not who yeah. you are anymore. Sucks yeah. for you, but yeah. this is the evolved yeah. me. What symptoms do you deal with at this point in life given all the changes that you've made to take care of yourself I still get face rashing. I still get mouth ulcers occasionally, which I have one right now. Um, And I think it's just a stressful week, honestly. My flare-ups are very much the same as what they were, but on a much lower scale. Like if you are sitting in a doctor's office and you have that smiley face of like super happy 10 and sad as one, I'm definitely more on the happier side of my pain management. I would say yes, if I overwork my body or if I have a really stressful week or if I indulge in something that I know is not necessarily like serving my body well with, you know, having refined sugar in something that I didn't know it was in or whatever that looks like, right? If that happens, I definitely still have soreness, joint pain, but I'm not rushing off to the doctor in order to have fluid taken out of my joints. I'm not at that severe stage anymore, thankfully. And I'm also just able to have a better mindset of how to handle it. And I'm also more educated in the choices that I'm making and more conscious of the choices that I'm making to stay on that right path of like, yeah, I have a migraine today. Well, instead of taking a mig- like a shot, I'm going to get a cold compress and I'm going to go take a nap for an hour because it's what my body is going to need. And I know not everybody has that opportunity if you're at work or whatever, but trying to stay focused on that end goal as much as possible of journeying through life in order to keep your own path of that road smooth, right? And of course, there's always going to be potholes, but part of it. I love that. What a great place to end. So my last question for you is, as you know, this podcast is all about invisible illness. What do you wish people knew about invisible illness? I don't know if it's what I wish they knew that would be different from any other guests because I know that so many of your guests say it so eloquently. You don't know what someone else is going through, but I think more of like just the reminder that we are the experts of our own body. Like no one else knows what we're feeling. Therefore, it's up to us to use our intuition and to actively listen, tune in, and live the life that is best for us as individuals. 
put down the judgment, the resentment and perceptions and all the things that we like attach that are just weighing us down. I think it's not on others to understand what we're struggling with. If they are strong enough to be able to be a support, that's amazing. But if they're not, we also need to learn how to be our own support system in our own cheering squad. Mastering our minds can often be that first step. I love it so much. Thank you so much for doing this. Where can people learn more about you and potentially work with you? Thank you for having me today. I love this chat and I really feel like we could just like be going on for hours. Yeah. So if you would like to find me. I'm on socials. I'm only on Instagram. I hate to break it to everybody, but there's only so much I can handle with input and output on socials. So I'm on Instagram at Melissa Coulier. Also, you can work with me personally to do one-on-one stuff. I also do pop-up events and public speaking on reclaiming your body through using your story. Then I also lead group exercise. So all of that information on how to work with me will be found at movingwellwithmel.com. Amazing. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thanks for tuning into Made Visible. We hope you learned about something new today. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Your support means the world to us. Visit madevisiblestories.com to check out our writing workshops, corporate offerings, and more information that can help you in navigating life with an invisible illness. Follow Made Visible Stories on Instagram. See you next week.